Pelvic Posse, and welcome to the Empower Your Pelvis podcast. It's Amanda Fisher. I've helped thousands of people with pelvic floor issues, and it's totally my jam. Here, you can listen to expert interviews encompassing all things related to pelvic health. That's pee, poop, sex, and everything in between. You have a pelvic floor. Yes, you. We all do. And it's time to start talking about these issues that arise, but more importantly, how to improve them. I am so glad you are here to join us. Now let's head into this week's episode of the Empower Your Pelvis podcast. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Empower Your Pelvis podcast. I'm Amanda, host of the show, and today I have the awesome chance of interviewing Dr. Heather at our Empower Your Pelvis Clinic. She's truly an incredible human, but today we're going to touch in on her fertility journey because she has had quite a journey. She treats our fertility patients, probably the most number of all of us at the clinic. We did a certification last February, 2021. No, 2022. Wow, the years blur together. And so she's been tackling a little bit more of that with the rest of us at the clinic. So I just want to touch in with her today. And we've got some fun announcements that she's going to share as well. So Heather, go ahead and introduce yourself. Hello. So my name is Heather. I am one of the pelvic floor PTs here at Empower Your Pelvis. I've been a physical therapist now for I think like about 13 years or so now maybe a little longer, actually. And then I've been doing pelvic for most of that time. So I just kind of fell into pelvic PT early on in my career. This was way before I'd had kiddos or anything like that. I was working at a clinic where another therapist was actually doing pelvic floor. And I kind of learned about it from her. And then she moved on, went back to school, had another baby, and I kind of took it over from there. So as Amanda May has talked about, we really, you really don't learn pelvic floor physical therapy in, in school at all. So they just skip the whole pelvis. And so what you do is you just start going to these courses and you just go to course after course after course. And so that's kind of just what I did. And so I was already a pelvic floor physical therapist before I was ever even trying to have kids. I as well. And I think I recommend that for mm-hmm. a lot of people. Yeah. I know when I was going through it, deciding if I was going to specialize, people were like, oh, you really don't need to get into it till you have children. And now knowing what we know, mm-hmm. I'm so glad that we are pushing people to go into it before yeah. they have kids because there's so much more. It was almost like, I don't know, I graduated in 2011. Like back then we still had this notion of, oh, you're not, you're only peeing your pants because you had children or it's normal. So you don't need to get into it until you've, completely messed up your pelvic floor was kind of the mentality. Yeah. And we know that's not the case anymore. And that's one thing that's really awesome about being here at EYP is we've got seven therapists now. And all of us have had completely different, like we have therapists here who have not had kids yet, but we've had some that have played like highly competitive sports and things like that. And then we've got a couple vaginal delivery mamas now. We've got us as C-section mamas, twin mamas. So we've got a wide variety. So we can kind of see it from help people from all different backgrounds and angles. So let's see. So I was a pelvic floor. I started with pelvic floor around 2008. So my math earlier was probably way off, but 2008 and then got married in 2009. And we pretty much wanted to start trying to have kids right away. 
And I didn't really have any indication that I was going to have any issues. My periods had always been fine. So there was no real um, warning there, except for I had been on the pill for a lot of years. And so you don't truly know what your cycles are like when you're on the pill. But I didn't really... Synthetic hormones, right? right? Like we're putting fake hormones in our body to help us with menstruation. Mm-hmm. So that can take a toll. There's a lot. I mean, we could go yeah. on and on. I feel like that's a whole podcast. podcast. Yeah, absolutely. So, but I never had had like um, really bad period pain. I didn't have my mom or anyone like that hadn't ever had any issues. So I really thought this was going to just be great and just super easy. And, you know, the first month of trying, I was sure it had worked. And as most of us are when we're going through infertility, everybody kind of starts out that way. So So our journey, we actually ended up the whole thing all together. We did fertility treatment and tried for four years altogether. We tried on our own for about six months. Usually a lot of times what people will hear and be told by doctors is to try for a year if you're under 35. I don't necessarily think you really have to do that, especially if you're one of those patients who... If I have someone who, if their periods are not regular or if their periods are really painful, there's obviously something that could be going on and there's just no reason to wait for a year. So we kind of pushed forward maybe more than, I don't know. I think it's fine. I think you can push forward earlier. So after about six months, we got my husband tested. He was good. That's one thing I feel like we really need to encourage women to do. A lot of times it's just, you know, a third of fertility issues are male, a third are female and a third are kind of unknown or both. And so I feel like the guys don't get tested that early. And it's so easy compared to it's cheap. It's easy compared to like what the female testing is. So we have one patient right now. I think she's Erica's or I don't know. She's a shared patient through a couple of us here, but they just did their first IUI, second oh, IUI. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it she's, we were having this discussion, but it was her husband that got tested that has the abnormalities Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and they're going through treatments for him. And I'm like, this is really cool. I love that you guys actually went outside the box and and there's a a lot of really good treatments. Like if there's issues with the sperm, then they are their supplements and things, but then there's also really good within the fertility treatment centers, they have really cool techniques where they can actually go in and isolate the really good sperm and use those. So it can be something that can certainly be fixable and it's really easy to test for. But Unfortunately for us, that was not much of an issue. That was fine. So the first thing I did was I had a like an exploratory surgery. They were going to check for endometriosis. Now, I did not have... We see patients all the time for endometriosis. And so there are definitely some hallmark signs. I actually didn't have any of those hallmark signs. However, what had happened was I had a test called an HSG, which is not a super fun test. If you're in the fertility world, you've had it. It doesn't feel great, but they basically inject dye up into your uterus to see if your tubes are open or if your tubes are blocked. And so one of my tubes was blocked. And so there was this suspicion. And then they were having trouble seeing my right ovary on a transvaginal ultrasound. So their suspicion was that maybe I had endometriosis and that um, was blocking the tube. And so I had an exploratory surgery to go in and see if that was the case. So that was not the case, but they did find I had a large, what's called a dermoid cyst. If you want to see something crazy, Google images of dermoid cysts on Google. But I had one on my right ovary and it had kind of invaded the ovary and the tube. And then I had a ton of scar tissue, which is what was actually blocking the tube. And I'd never had any like surgeries or procedures. And so their thought was that 
I probably had another cyst that had ruptured at some time. Usually you feel that. I don't think I did. I would have remembered. But so the surgeon actually went in, removed all the scar tissue. And then they actually had to remove my, because of the way the cyst had kind of intertwined within the whole ovary and tube, they had to take out my whole right side. So that kind of started a lot more of what we were having to go through. Now you can have a side removed and that doesn't mean you're going to have fertility issues because what's cool about our body is when we ovulate, we don't always ovulate right side, left side, back and forth, but your body will typically go back and forth between the two. It's not necessarily one each, but if one side's removed, our body is smart enough that it will tend to start ovulating from just the other side. So just because you have a tube removed does not mean you're going to have fertility issues, but you probably want to watch things a little bit. So after that, my doctor was like, okay, everything's good. Go try. We were really hopeful, but then of course, nothing really happened. So from there, we started with our first, um, they're called reproductive endocrinologists. They're basically fertility doctors. We started with one here in Kansas City. So a lot of times with, fertility issues, they'll start with medication was not appropriate for us because my cycles were fine. So I don't know if you want to jump in there. Yeah. So I'm wondering if you had done any. No, because my cycles were always fine. A lot of times they'll use that. Like if you went out like with PCOS and things, if your cycles aren't normal, they'll use something like Clomid. That wasn't going to work for us because it wasn't a cycle issue. It was more of a mechanical issue. And that's where... Like for myself, I was on birth control since I was 15 for acne and got off of it. I don't know what age, 24, maybe 25. And that was when like my cycle never came back. And so we did the blood test first to find out my progesterone was under one. So it was like premenopausal. Had to go through progesterone meds first, which I don't know if anybody's done that, but I went, excuse my language, batshit crazy. I remember getting, in general. Oh, yes. getting pulled over <laughs> on the side of the road. The cop hands me a ticket for speeding. I'm bawling. As soon as he walks away, I start hysterically laughing. I was like, holy shit, I'm bananas right now. Mm-hmm. And that's just kind of, I went through that a couple rounds, I think of the progesterone where the cycles were crazy. I was in like a level, my second or third level of our pelvic floor physical therapy while on progesterone and completely started my period. Like, And you're doing like internal exams that whole weekend. It was a mess. And then five rounds of Clomid. And after we went through or while going through our fertility course, finding out like if you have PCOS, which I didn't know I had at the time, but Clomid and PCOS typically shouldn't go together. I think Clomid is typically for endometriosis. Was that right? Um, I'm not I I remember exactly. They also now have another med called letrozole. And I don't yes. think they had, I, think I don't know how new that is, but they for don't have it. They didn't have it. PCOS. Yes. But yes, that was more my journey. And then I went completely free of gluten, dairy, sugar when we were around our fifth cycle of Clomid. And that seemed those two together maybe did the trick, but yeah, you have long, long, <laughs> yeah, we have Jack attack. So let's see if I can, it's been a little while. So bear with me if I can't remember all the exact details. So we had the surgery. I ended up at the, at the reproductive endocrinologist. Oh, where I was going with that. So medication wasn't really an option for me. They were also thinking that the next step for a lot of people is an IUI, which is intrauterine insemination. We did like one cycle. So basically backing up what that is, is they actually like take a, it's like a syringe and they basically take the sperm and inject it. It's painless procedure. For the most part, they inject it right up 
through the cervix into the uterus, but then the sperm still have to find their way to the egg. And then you can do that with medication. You can do it with oral medication, injectable medication, no medication. And there's all different kinds of ways to do that. I think we tried one, but they were really like, this probably isn't going to work for you because the egg and the sperm may still not be finding each other. You've only got some eggs and you've got some mechanical issues. And so we tried like one because it was cheaper, but we just kind of moved on from there. But some people will try that a few times. And you can do that with frozen sperm too. Mm-hmm. If you guys yep. Have frozen any. Yep. And so that's something where also same-sex couples, a lot of times that's where they will start because like same-sex female couples, because they don't necessarily have any fertility issues. They just need the sperm. So a lot of times they will get sperm and then do IUI first and can be super, super successful at that. Their rates of success are actually higher than, you know, other like me, for example, doing it because they don't actually have known problems, they just need sperm. So their rates of IUI success are actually better. But we didn't stick with that very long. We knew it probably wasn't going to be super successful. So we moved then to IVF, which most people have heard about in vitro fertilization. So with that, what happens if you're not familiar is the... So what I had to... I started doing... And there's different protocols. But basically... First, they put you on birth control and then they give you a medication, or at least in my case, they did. They kind of bottom out your hormones, like almost put you in like a menopause so they can build them up at the way and time they want to. Um, All different medicines affect, hormonal medicines affect everyone differently. I think the worst for me, they gave me a medicine called Lupron and that's what bottomed you out before. And that's where I had all the craziness. Like I remember I was at a wedding, we were driving home, there was fine, there was nothing that happened at the wedding. I was crying. My husband's like, why are you crying? I'm like, I have no idea. I'm not sad. I'm not, I, I don't know. He's, he's like, did something, somebody say something to you? I'm like, no, I don't know what's going on. But that's just kind of, I mean, they're just all these hormones. And so, so anyway, so then you get these medicines. And now this is a whole other tangent. Some States have mandatory fertility coverage of at least some kind for like insurance. I don't think we have anything like that in Missouri. We had no coverage whatsoever. So this is where you start having to spend a lot of money because these medications for our YouTube friends who can see they're like these little itty bitty tiny vials you keep in your refrigerator. If you can't see them holding up my fingers like two to three inches and they're thousands and thousands of dollars. You have to get them shipped in from this like online pharmacy, they come in, you know, these cold pack box things. And so, and they're, most of them are all injections. And so you start with injections, like into your belly. I was one of those people, I am not very tough. My husband literally did every single shot for me for four years. I feel like most people can start doing them themselves, but I am not good at that. So anyway, they, you do whatever inject, like I said, there's different protocols from different doctors for different people. So you do all the injections. And then they scan you, they do these internal ultrasounds to see how your follicles are developing. So what they're trying to do is with regular ovulation, you just produce one egg. They're trying to produce as many good eggs as possible. And so to put things in perspective, like quote unquote, like good response would be getting like 20 eggs because they're always going to die off, which we can get to in a minute. I would get like five and I only had one side, but that one side was still not a good producer. So our first round, I think we had, it's been a while, five to seven eggs. Um, I think it was seven eggs, five fertilized. Every day, the embryologist calls you, tells you how many you have left. By transfer day, which was about five days later, we had two left and we transferred two and neither took. 
So I got the phone call right about the same time I got my period at work (laughs) at the job I had before here. Not a good day. Now, I will pause here for a second and say, now, this was way back in, I don't know, 2010 or so at this point. They've kind of changed this. They kind of steer people more towards frozen transfers now to give your uterus a chance to kind of like recover and heal for a month. So I did what was called fresh transfer, which was just five days after, but that seems to have changed. Also, another change since when we did it, there's more genetic testing availability now. And the genetic testing is... The main reason is because like if you, if something doesn't implant or if you have a miscarriage, a lot of times it's because of like, you know, something was wrong with the genetics. And so now they can kind of go through and say, okay, this one's the most likely to not miscarry. I didn't really have that option. Also, I hardly had any eggs. So they were just going to, or embryos, they were just going to implant whatever I had. So that was a really bad day. Then we tried again a few months later. I think I produced like four eggs. None of them made them to transfer. So it was not a really good time. We took a break. I, along the same time, I wasn't super happy with the um, reproductive endocrinologist that I had. So we talked about adoption. I didn't really want to go to that place anymore. So then I was actually treating as a, I was still seeing some ortho patients. So I was seeing this girl, she had triplets, triplet babies, and she had broken her ankle when she was pregnant. And so she started talking about her experience and she was a single mom by choice. So she had decided to go through IVF on her own, had these triplets. She used a doctor out of St. Louis. And so she really talked him up. He did a free consult. We ended up actually traveling from Kansas City to St. Louis to go to this doctor. So we did our third round of IVF with him. Unfortunately, the same thing happened where I've made, I don't know, like four eggs or so. None of them made him to transfer. So we had one kind of last chance. We were almost out of money. I was out of mental and physical ability to go through this anymore. So we decided in my particular case to go through an egg donor. And so between our doctor in St. Louis and this egg donation company in Illinois, we actually picked an egg donor and she had done it before and she had produced a lot of eggs, led to successful pregnancies. So she basically did the egg donation part at the same time I was doing some shots to kind of like make my cycle sort of fit with hers, if that made sense. So she produced 20 eggs, which was far, far better. A lot of them fertilized. Things are really good. We went ahead and planted two and that's Hannah and Gavin today and they're nine. So our final success was with egg donation. I did try other things. I also tried with that last one. I was doing acupuncture. I was gluten-free, like all of those things. So we never know. But I mean, our biggest change, it was probably the the egg donation. So it's very cool. So that's us. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. I don't think I've heard the full story. Yeah. It's a long one. I'm sure I forgot some of that. (laughs) That's okay. Oh, I did have another surgery in there in the middle too, because I had a, another another dermoid cyst after my first one. And so we thought I was going to lose my only remaining ovary, but this, she was able, so yeah, there wasn't even, see, I don't even remember there was another surgery in there, but all it has happy ending. So with Heather's journey, I don't think that, I mean, I didn't know personally, but fertility 10 years ago, Mm -hmm. we didn't know that pelvic floor physical therapy Mm -mm. could help with that. No, I was a physical therapist and I had no idea. Yeah. And now what we know, because we went through the program February, 2022 is coupling pelvic floor physical therapy with your own fertility journey can actually Mm -hmm. be a higher success rate of getting conception of Mm -hmm. conceiving. Let's talk a little bit about that. Yeah. So, um, Basically, the big thing that physical therapy is going to involve is, you know, obviously we can't, well, 
we'll talk about hormones in a second. We can't change some of the hormones, but it's really about tissue mobility. So if you've had any restrictions in your like abdomen around your reproductive organs, that could be from a previous surgery, but it doesn't have to be. That's one thing we learned that up to 40% of people who have like scar tissue restrictions don't actually have, they haven't actually had a surgery or procedure. So as physical therapists, we can actually go in and work around your abdomen, around your uterus, around your tubes, around your ovaries to make sure that there are no mechanical restrictions where like your uterus is being pulled on or your ovary is being pulled on to where things aren't functioning as optimally. But going right along with that is things like blood flow. So, you know, if you have muscle tension or if you have scar tissue, you're not going to be getting as much good, healthy blood flow to that area. So everything, like we do a lot of manual therapy techniques to... And this can be done externally yeah. on top of your abdominal tissue. Yeah, you don't even, we don't have to do an internal, although mm-hmm. I like to couple internal with external. Yeah. But a lot of the techniques that we learned were all external mm-hmm. on top of your abdominal tissue. Yep. So I have a girl right now that I'm seeing. Um, I... I have just seen her through her first cycle. Now she is going to start Clomid also, but we were doing internal and external because she also was having pain with sex, which kind of goes hand in hand because you're having all this stressful and yeah, everything's restricted. And so we've taken care of the pain with sex internally part. And so we're doing a little bit of that still, but we're doing a lot of external. And so when Amanda was talking about earlier, this research actually shows that by adding pelvic floor physical therapy, whether you're trying to conceive on your own or whether you're doing fertility treatments, it actually increases your chances in both of those situations. We kind of do it along with your cycle. So for example, for this girl I'm working with right now, your cycle is kind of divided into two parts. So you have the two, your period is day one. And so you have the two weeks leading up to ovulation. And then you have kind of the two weeks from ovulation until either your period or when you can get that positive pregnancy test. And so a lot of the things we really try to work in those first two weeks. And then once you're around ovulation and potential implantation, I don't really, we don't really mess with the uterus and stuff at that point that much because we want to let things implant, but we really work really hard on those two weeks up until ovulation. And then there's things we can do after we just don't move uterus and stuff around as much. The external abdominal stuff too, they, these are things that I guess for years we've been doing with cesarean moms mm-hmm. as well, because that can also create some tension down there. But it is bowel patients, mm-hmm. like everything's in that abdominal cavity that can create some form of restriction. So it's really, I don't know, it's one of my favorite things to do because you can move the tissue. These organs are, are 3D guys. They're supposed to move, you know, front to back, left to right, rotate, just like the rest of our body does. And I feel like we forget that as humans, that Mm -hmm. these are are supposed to move and not supposed to be restricted. So when we're testing somebody's stomach and maybe we're testing bladder, we want to know like, how does it move left to right? Like, oh, do you feel a little bit of that tightness there? And they're like, yeah, I feel a stretch or a pull when you pull it from left to right. You're like, okay, that's what I'm feeling too. And then we might test it up and down. Where do we feel it tight there? Where do we feel it if we start to rotate it? And then if we kind of stack all of that tissue, meaning we're taking it into the tension that if it was tight left to right, we might go that way. We might go up if that was tight and then we might rotate it. Does it respond well? Do we see improvement in mobility after we do that? Or does the tissue like to slack, meaning it feels strained and stretched? And I like to say it's more like stressed out and we want to make it feel safe. So we go the opposite way. And we're really testing 
and seeing, is it improving with one way or the other? And then following it up with techniques right there with you, discussing how it feels. Do you feel a little improvement there? And then we might give you stretches to do at home Mm -hmm. and exercises to keep that mobility there and keep blood flow and circulation. And that's the beautiful thing as it's coupling with that fertility piece is you have things to do at home too that can also help increase your chances. Exactly. And everything we do, I mean... The crazy part about fertility, I mean, to be honest, a lot of the stuff that you go through is painful. I mean, there's shots, lots of shots, lots of ultrasounds. It's very expensive. What we do here is not painful. Like you might feel a little stretch, maybe a little cramping, but it's going to be nothing like anything like else one that you're to going through. One to discomfort. Yeah. And, being the worst. And, you know, monetarily, it's so much less expensive than, you know, your $3,000 vial of medicine that's this big. So, I mean... If I had had this option when I was going through it, I would have 1000% been on board for this. So yeah, it's a really, really good... Or even if you're not having trouble conceiving, even if you're like, hey, I'm planning to try to start conceiving in three months, you know, let's just make sure everything's in optimal shape. You know, you can, we can do that. Another thing is, you know, we said you can have restrictions if you haven't had surgery, but if you have had surgery, I mean, you have a very high chance of having restrictions. So our moms who've had a C-section and now they're having like secondary infertility. Will you have that scar? And they went through seven layers when you had your first baby. So chances are you do have a lot of scarring that could be preventing you from getting pregnant again. So we would 100% want to work with you. I mean, if you've had any people have had, you know, gallbladder surgeries or appendix surgeries or all kinds of other things that can all have an effect. So, and then the other thing we talked to people about going back to what I'd said about hormones before. So there are certain hormones we can't necessarily affect. Like we're not going to affect your follicle stimulating hormone, but we can help with like stress hormones. So a lot of times, all of us in general, but especially if you're going through something stressful, like infertility, you're kind of stuck in that like fight or flight. We see this a lot with like our chronic pain patients too, or our patients that have a lot of stress or anxiety. And our fight, flight, freeze response isn't really made to be all the time. It's supposed to be like you run from the bear and then you're safe and then it goes back off. But most of us are just kind of always in this. And that does a lot of things. But one thing it does is produces stress hormones in your body. And if your body is prioritizing stress hormones and pushing blood to your arms and legs and things like that, it's not prioritizing reproductive organs, digestion, your thyroid, all kinds of other things that can affect fertility. So we can affect those hormones by teaching you like down training techniques, mindfulness techniques, stretching, breathing, like all those things where you can actually calm down your central nervous system and in turn, decrease stress hormones, which can improve your other hormones. So that can help a lot with fertility too. All right, Heather, we're getting close to the end here. So before we get off, I do want to ask one more question. So something we ask everybody is what is something you are learning something you are doing and something you are teaching. Okay. I thought of two. We've talked about one. I thought of two though. One, aside from PT, I have my nine-year-old twins now. My little guy has got a lot of issues with ADHD. So I am definitely reading lots of books and doing lots of work in trying to learn more about ADHD and ways to help him. So that's my outside of pelvic PT one. My other one I'm super excited about is I am going to be starting my own podcast. So it is... Hopefully no one take the name from me until I get this out there. It's going to be called The Mama Sisterhood. So it is a mom podcast, but my 
if you stay tuned for part two of this, I actually We're had have had it back of, on for a part two. Yeah, We've got so much more to this. Once now. I finally got pregnant, then I had kind of a crazy pregnancy delivery. So we'll talk about that next. So stay yes, tuned. Stay tuned. I'm not going to give you any details, but we've had some very unique situations. And so my idea with my podcast is that I want to interview all different types of moms, moms of kiddos with special unique challenges, military moms, single moms, like all the different types of moms and get their stories to kind of help educate and then just uplift and inspire other parents. And so I got my microphone for Christmas. So hopefully that is coming soon. So we will keep you posted. Can't wait. So we will link that below as soon as we get that too. And yeah, stay tuned to part two. I can't wait. Thanks for coming on, Heather. Appreciate it. And we will have to have you back on very quickly. Sounds good. All right. All right. Thanks everybody. Hey, Pelvic Posse. I want to thank you so much for joining into this week's episode of the Empower Your Pelvis podcast. Can I ask you a couple of favors, please? Number one, can you like and subscribe to this podcast so that you can continue to empower your pelvis forever so that you will never miss out? Number two, can you leave us a rating and a review telling them how amazing we are and everything that you have learned about your pelvic health? And then number three, If you haven't seen the video version of this podcast, you can go over to youtube.com forward slash C forward slash empower your pelvis for all your visual learners out there. We have all types of great visuals in there for you to not only listen to, but to also watch. Thank you so much again and make sure to give your pelvis some love until next time. Peace out pelvic posse.